Tis the season to be jolly in the coastal town of Coco Bay. A cursed princess has 10 days to break the spell over her, and what better time to do it than Christmas time? I'm Mermaid's Andrea. Let's dive into A Mermaid for Christmas. Seasons greetings and salutations. Welcome one, welcome all, to the Mermaid Movie Club, a celebration of Merfolkin Media. The last Mermaid Movie Club of 2020. We made it, you guys. We're finally here. 13 episodes, I think. 12 months, something like that. A little intermission in the summer. But we got back to this stuff. It's almost like going to school a little bit. Like, you, you have the break in the summer. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's still, okay, it's not really like school. It's not like I give you guys, like, homework or anything. I mean, I'm the one researching all these things. So you can just sit back and be relaxed by the sound of my voice as I talk about mermaid movies. Speaking of mermaid movies, let's offer a little movie club primer. What does the mermaid movie club involve? What's the basis of it? Well, it goes a little bit like this. If you can manage to avoid hearing the classic Last Christmas by Wham from December 1st to December 24th, wait a minute, hold on, sorry, sorry. That was Whamageddon, my bad. Sorry, I'm still bitter about only making it a weekend this year. <clears throat> the Mermaid Movie Club is a podcast where we watch mermaid movies and talk about them. Anything, everything, animation, special effects, cinematography, mythology, sociology, history, maybe it is school, I don't know. The criteria for these films is that they have to, have to, have to, have to be mermaid-centric. So, no, I'm sorry, I just cannot spend too much time on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because of the creepy mermaids Harry encounters in the Triwizard Tournament. And other reasons, and you can probably guess what those are. The story has to revolve around merfolk. End of. And then we can talk about those movies on my social channels, which are all in the show notes. What did I get wrong? What, um, you know, what did I get wrong? Those sorts of things. What other, like... Trivia do I need to know, opposing viewpoints, nuanced discussion. That's the stuff we love around here. Like I said, all my platforms are in the social the show notes, my bad. You can get a hold of me there. But let me know what kind of what the best kind of public forum would be for all of us to gather and talk about the films on the show. Something not named Facebook. I don't like Facebook, and every day Facebook reminds me of why I hate it. Um, but I'm there anyway. It's like a necessary evil. You know how it is. So we got to close out 2020 with a good one. Some good old-fashioned Christmas cheer, because sweet, sweet Neptune, this has been a cheerless year. It doesn't feel like Christmas to me. It, it feels weird. Like, Christmas feels weird now. Everything feels weird. But you know what we always have every Christmas? Christmas movies. Yeah, still not thrilled with Apple taking away my Charlie Brown Christmas, but it is what it is. A Mermaid for Christmas is a 2019 film directed by Michael Caruso for Michael and Barbara Caruso Productions and WFL Productions. Talk about a vanity label. I kid, I kid. The movie was officially released November 19th, 2019. I can't see if this had any kind of television or theatrical release, so I guess it was online only? I mean, that is the future. No, not even the future. It's the now. Nothing goes straight to DVD anymore. Remember how everything like went straight to DVD back in the day? Back in my day. Uh, but it goes straight to streaming now. It may or may not be free. IMDb is incredibly vague about the synopsis of this movie. I went into this not knowing at all what it's about, except for that it's Christmas and there's a mermaid. The IMDb summary literally says, 
Filled with warmth, humor, whimsy, and just a touch of magic, A Mermaid for Christmas combines classic Christmas themes with an escapist fantasy element that only a mermaid can provide. That tells me nothing about this film. Nothing! That just sounds like a schmaltzy review from some entertainment mag. That does not make a synopsis! What happens in this movie? I guess that's what lures you in to watch it, that you don't know what it's about, and Mermaids and Christmas seem to not go together so much that it's enticing. Sure, okay, fine. The cast consists of a number of daytime soap stars, including Kyle Lauder of Days of Our Lives fame as Travis Hunter, and One Life to Live's Jessica Morris as Mermaid Daphne. Those are our leads. You've got even more soap stars in the rest of the cast, such as Days of Our Lives' Ariane Zucker and Nadia Bjorlin, General Hospital's Kathleen Gatti, and The Bold and the Beautiful's Emma Sophia Demirian and Ian Buchanan. I think I got some of those names wrong. I do apologize. Um, I don't watch soaps. I don't know any of these people. But I'm sure my grandmother knew a few of these people because she had General Hospital on all the time. Uh, One Life to Live, I'm sure she knew all those people too. She was like, ABC was on all the time. One Life to Live is ABC, right? I don't know. Anyway, this movie has a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. It doesn't appear to be on Rotten Tomatoes or anything. I didn't check Amazon. I just completely forgot. It sounds like it's schmaltzy and soapy. And, you know, I think about it. Maybe that's just what we need to end not really end but maybe that's just the antidote we need to the 2020 gloom maybe not maybe it's probably more like a cough drop and it's even got a little bit of a peppermint flavor you love it so let's just go ahead and dive right into it this is a mermaid for christmas does this movie start with an underwater shot yes It absolutely does. Don't act surprised. That is rule number two of the Mermaid Movie Club. Even though I'm always a rules are made to be broken kind of fish, I do often point it out. My brother once said that about the music theory class I took in college. You learn the rules so you can break them. And now that's finally making sense. But back to the movie. There are various shots in and above the water, accompanied by some faceless narration, to the point where it feels like a BBC nature documentary narrated by David Attenborough. This narrator takes us back to ancient Greece and the story of Daphne, princess of Athens. Daphne is supposed to be studying with this philosopher by the name of Pericles, the son of Theodora, high priestess of Poseidon. Pericles literally looks like he came out of one of those like Harlequin romance novels. Like he's gorgeous and tanned. He's like a beefcake of a man. Gorgeous blonde locks and a suit of armor. Like Thor, kinda, only Greek and with less costuming budget. The Cliff's Notes version of their story goes a little bit like this. Daphne's stuck up and doesn't want anything to do with Pericles because he's a commoner. So he gives up on her and goes off to join the Battle of Troy. Theodora laments that she'll lose her son in the war. Spoiler alert, she does. Blames Daphne for his decision and for his death and curses her by turning her into a mermaid. She's allowed to become human for 10 days every 100 years where she's supposed to find a reincarnated form of Pericles. She then has to perform a selfless act after which she'd remain human permanently. However, if she found him and failed... She'd remain a mermaid forever. Because I guess that's supposed to be a bad thing or something. Bro, if that were me, like, I'd be like, I'll just be the most selfish fish ever. Who gives a sh- Oh, okay. Anyway, now, on one hand, that feels a bit Beauty and the Beast. Remember the prologue of Beauty and the Beast that basically sets the stage for the story? A vain prince is cursed by a sorceress disguised as an ugly beggar. 
He rejects her, and in return, she reveals her true form and curses him to be a terrifying beast. She gives him an enchanted rose, and if he doesn't discover true love before the last pet petal falls off, he will be a beast forever. Perhaps the closest comparisons to this story in more mermaid-leaning mythology, to my knowledge, are Scylla and Undyne. Undyne? I'm this is, my pronunciations are probably wrong, so uh, I apologize. Scylla is beautiful. Is it Scylla? Scylla? I think it's Scylla. Scylla is beautiful and loved by many men. However, she was more interested in hanging out with the sea nymphs than some lame human suitors. Big mood. Then she met Glaucus, the sea god. Glaucus was head over fins in love with her. Glaucus seeks the services of the sorceress Circe, but Circe is furious because Circe's got it bad for him too. So we kind of can see where this is going. Circe creates a blend of potions and herbs that transforms the enchanting Scylla into a terrifying sea monster. Some depictions of Scylla are fairly mermaid-like. Some of them. Most of them lean more toward a Sicilian abomination, a la Ursula, but way scarier. You, it's Greek stuff. It's Greek mythology, bro. Undyne, on the other hand, is a little mermaid. That's it. It's a mermaid, sometimes a water nymph, who takes a human form to pursue a human lover, but if the human is unfaithful, she is forced to die. So Daphne's story bears vague similarities to both Scylla and Undyne, but let's be real, it's just wet beauty and the beast. But the beast is Regina George. And then Regina George gets Regina George gets hit by a bus that turns her into a mermaid. It gets weird like that. By the way, Daphne is a real figure in Greek mythology, but this is not her story. Encyclopedia Britannica says that Daphne in Greek mythology, the personification of the laurel, a tree whose leaves formed into garlands, were particularly associated with Apollo. So Daphne does undergo a transformation, much like this Daphne, but instead of becoming a mermaid, she becomes a tree. That's about as much resemblance this Daphne story has to that of the actual myth of Daphne. But, you know, creative license, I guess. We turn up in present day Coco Bay. I had to Google Coco Bay to figure out where this is, but Google seems to think that Coco Bay is the same as Coco Beach in Florida. I can tell you one thing for sure. This is not Coco Beach. I live near Coco Beach. I've been there numerous times. Coco Beach is a garbage dump compared to this place. The movie was filmed in LA, so that makes me think that Coco Bay is a fictional town. Thank Neptune this isn't Coco Beach, because... Anyway, if you know, you know. There's a ship, and aboard this ship is a guy. Kind of reminds me of like a budget Chris Hemsworth a little bit. This is Travis Hunter. He is summoned from his quarters to the front of the ship by Tiffany Devereaux, the mayor of Coco Bay, who definitely gives me this blonde conservative billionaire vibe. Talk about a coastal elite. Travis is a bar owner, I guess, and the mayor tried to make this deal with him to tear down his bar to make room for some vague real estate project. They're quarreling over this deal that he's not taking when suddenly Daphne pops up and spots Pericles. I guess that would be Travis. She's utterly dumbstruck because finally, look, it's Pericles. He's there. I finally have a chance. Daphne's in this oversized chambray shirt tied at the waist with a rope, which is such an aerial moment. She runs into the mayor's assistant asking who that mortal woman is talking to the handsome Hemsworth light man on the boat. She agrees that this woman seems rude and unagreeable and just kind of awful in general. Mayor Devereaux gives Travis a loan paper as a Christmas gift, quite charming, while still pressing him to take her up, saying, Vanessa would want you to do it. Travis gets really defensive over this, which leads to a flashback five years back. Travis and, excuse me, Travis and Vanessa are a cute, tacky, cheesy, corny couple. Mostly cute. 
but so far it doesn't tell us what actually happened to Vanessa. I'm led to believe that at this point they either divorced or Vanessa died somehow. I don't really get what's happening here other than Travis and Vanessa are cute. That's it. That's the flashback. Travis taunts Tiffany by attempting to eat the papers she gave him and Tiffany just storms off. But she is still determined to get that bar knocked down. Ah, yes. The classic big yellow taxi plot line. Pave paradise. Put up a parking lot. But make sure to include the pink hotel, the boutique, and the swinging hotspot. Man, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? Do I owe royalties for that now? Joni Mitchell, I'm so sorry. I just really like that song. I think TV Tropes calls this either community-threatening construction or villainous gentrification. I think it's the former. Meanwhile, Tiffany's assistant, who may or may not just be the Coco Bay equivalent of April Ludgate from Parks and Recreation, directs Daphne to where she can meet Travis for herself. Speaking of TV tropes, Daphne, being a fish out of water, also exhibits a bit of antiquated linguistics, in which she refers to the mayor's assistant as a servant girl, among other things. Remember, this woman's from ancient Greece, and she still talks like it. Well, if ancient Greeks spoke perfect English. It's a little bit Princess Luna from My Little Pony, but remove the royal canterlot voice and the constant use of the royal we. It's a bit like watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet from 1996, where Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio are basically reciting Shakespeare in the most modern day, the most casual modern day tone. Long story short, she's fun. Now, here we get a few shots of Coco Bay. There's a lot of these kinds of montages of just like shots of like setting, just kind of like setting up like where this is taking place specifically almost to the point where it feels like a travel ad like okay we get it this is what it looks like you're wasting my time i thought it'd be a bit more new englandy much like in the 13th year but it looks more tropical i got flashbacks to the one time i went to sea world in sixth grade where like there's all those kiosks where you get like the silly little souvenirs pretty standard theme park fair so this could very well be florida but it sure as shall not coco beach it could also be Los Angeles, where the film was shot. Go figure. Roxy is the caretaker of Travis's bar, the Coral Cantina, while Travis is away. She is arguing over ornaments while Daphne quietly steps inside. She remarks that Bo, Travis's brother who brought the ornaments in, looks like Achilles. Okay. Totally not weird. Roxy sends him out, which leaves her with Daphne. Daphne's crazy, but she likes that. She bites back. Daisy's on your nightstand. Sorry, I'm like obsessed with Ashniko right now. Sorry. But Roxy is super fascinated with Daphne right off the bat, so they take some time to get to know each other. Let's go back to Tiffany Devereaux, a.k.a. Donald Trump's secretary of Scroogedom. She has the nerve to show up at Travis's mother's house to try to convince her to convince him to sell the Coral Cantina. Really? First of all, how does she know to go there? How does she know where his mom lives? How? 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 You're going to interrupt this innocent mom making Christmas cookies, trying to run a real estate scam by her? This fish. Mama, her name's Connie, by the way, explains that the Coral Cantina was something that Travis and Vanessa built together, and the reason why he's so desperate to hold on to it is because it's the last thing of Vanessa's he has. Connie implies pretty strongly that Vanessa died around Christmas, so this is a rough time for him. Tiffany tries to play this off by saying, it's been five years. And Connie, Mama Connie Hunter, goes all the way off. Like, how can you put an expiration date on grief? 
And I remember being audibly like, damn, when I was watching. Tell her off, honey. Tiffany very clearly reminds Connie that Travis owes the bank $50,000 due 10 days from now. Then she offers one to buy one of Connie's cookies, which Connie tells her cost $50,000. This woman is absolutely savage, and I live for it. This is the part I love, though. Tiffany says, well, you must be a really good cook. Connie answers, staring Tiffany dead in the eye, straight in the eye, unblinking. You have no idea. Grabs one of the gingerbread men, chews off its head, and spits it out. Now that's corny as shell, but honestly, I'm all about mom throwing down the gauntlet. Connie Hunter doesn't deal with anyone's garbage. She has 100% that fish, and I live for it. She's already the best character in this movie. I'm not even sorry. Tiffany leaves, but not without crumbling one of Connie's cookies in her bare hands and giving this Regina Mills sign-off with an evil glare. Merry Christmas, Connie. It's almost as if she's a villain or something. Now Travis returns to the Coral Cantina with pine garlands in tow, only to find that a super gorgeous woman is in his bar with Roxy. He seems more concerned about the fact that nothing is ready in the bar, there's shattered ornaments all over the floor, and that this super gorgeous woman looks like she was dressed by waste management. There's a running gag about dump trucks with Daphne's outfit, and she doesn't understand what dump trucks are because, obviously... So now Roxy's got some splaining to do. Roxy does just that. Explain that Daf- explains that Daphne is a Greek princess. She rejected past life Travis, got turned into a mermaid, spent 3,000 years looking for modern day Travis, and she still doesn't quite believe it because she speaks English and doesn't smell like sushi. She leaves after Bo returns with the shrimp and dumps it on the floor with the ornaments. This is kind of a running thing with Bo. Leaving Travis, Travis and Daphne alone. And here's where it gets just a teeniest, tiniest bit meta. Travis says he grew up in California, he's seen a ton of mermaid movies, and that Daphne's little scheme is the oldest gimmick in the book. First of all, I don't know what living in California has to do with watching mermaid movies because I'm pretty sure that's not a geographically specific thing. I've watched a ton of mermaid movies too. I live in Florida. I'm on a podcast talking about them now. You're not special, honey. So now Travis has no idea how to feel. Is he crazy or is she crazy? He doesn't know. He's trying to make sense of Daphne's story while Daphne is just trying to make sense. Travis figures the only way to figure it out is by splashing Daphne with water to prove she isn't the real thing. I guess Splash was one of those tons of mermaid movies Travis watched. But it's Roxy on the other side of the door who inadvertently comes through with the water bucket and accidentally throws it on Daphne. Nothing happens. Uproarious laughter. Travis is relieved he's not crazy. And then there's Bo. It has to be Bo. The Bo in Himbo comes out with the shrimp, which I guess are in a tub of salt water. He accidentally throws that on Daphne because he just kind of drops everything. Bo being dumb and clumsy is kind of a theme here, hence why he's the Bo in Himbo. It is that salt water that triggers Daphne's transformation, much to the shock of Travis, Roxy, and Bo. By the way, I know that tale. That is a Mernation Genesis tale. It's, I think, the most basic of Mernation's tale options, but it's still so gorgeous. I am like in love with that tale. I'm quite familiar with it because it's just one that I really like. I just like big flukes with simple shapes, but that's beside the point. Now they got to hide the mermaid before the bank guy gets here. The bank guy shows up a bit early, but fortunately Roxy and Bo are already on the task of getting that mermaid out of here. They stuff Daphne into the back of Bo's car, getting fluke fluke slapped in the process while Travis negotiates with the bank guy. He explains to Travis that the bank is calling the loan in early 
and that he has until 11 a.m. the next morning to come up with the $50,000. Literally what? Oh, I'm sure Evil Queen Tiffany may have been pulling some strings, of course, because even she knows that that's going to be impossible. And whatever Tiffany Devereaux wants, Tiffany Devereaux gets. The bank guy sees Roxy walking by with a plate of shrimp, the same shrimp that were on the floor with the ornaments, and eats a few, inadvertently getting glitter all over his, his face. He should realistically not have this much glitter on his face from a few shrimp that were kind of stuck in glitter. But this scene is being played, being played for gags, and it worked because I was indeed laughing. Thanks, glitter shrimp. By the way, he's eating and talking at the same time, which is gross, especially now that there's glitter on his mouth. I'm more shocked that he didn't end up cutting his mouth on a bit of glass stuck in the shrimp. Could have been worse. Instead, he ends up looking like Miley Cyrus in that video where she's like smearing glitter gel over glitter gel all over her mouth. You know the one? Yeah, Miley taught him. Bo takes Daphne to Connie's place, and Connie is less than thrilled. She'd rather be at the Coral Cantina supporting Travis at his fundraiser, but she's stuck at home feeding canned tuna to the mermaid in her pool. Aquamarine vibe. All the while, Travis and Roxy are decking the halls of the Coral Cantina for the big event. It's cute because they got amused by springy Christmas tree parts, get tangled in string lights, there's some fun with tinfoil. No, I don't know what's going on with tinfoil. I will say this tree is just a few glass fish short of a Bell's Christmas tree. I say that because I got all my glass fish ornaments at Bell's. It's a Florida moment. In California. Back at Connie's place, Connie and Daphne are bonding. This is where we see the warmth of Connie, who seemed irritated by Tiffany and inconvenienced by Bo. Yet, as she talks to Daphne, she's soft and warm like a mother. I mean, she is Travis's mother, so there's that. She explains to Daphne that showing up around Christmas can't be an accident. But, of course, Daphne doesn't know what Christmas is. Jesus wasn't even a glimmer in Mary's eye at Daphne's time. Connie explains to Daphne the meaning of Christmas and the importance of forgiving oneself as well as others. She mentions that Travis has lost his wife, which doesn't register immediately to Daphne as his wife being dead, just being missing. She's like, can I get guards to look for her or something? But Connie explains that Vanessa died of cancer, something that Daphne also doesn't understand, and that her passing affected Travis greatly. She explains Travis's financial situation and that they're quite literally about to lose everything. But wait, Daphne has a plan. It involves gold and going back to the ocean. Could this be, could this lead to the act of selflessness Daphne needs to break her curse once and for all? We don't know just yet. Back at the Coral Cantina, Bo hasn't shown up with the cake because of a flat tire. Their luck, I guess. Chuck tells Travis that the, it might be the mayor who's been up to something, threatening to call in their loans if they help Travis. Well, you don't say! Speak of the devil, Mayor Lificent shows up to crash the party in true over-the-top Disney villain fashion. Travis offers her $25,000 to keep the bar afloat because he sold his boat. She won't take it. Suddenly, Bo flies into the rescue with the cakes and immediately drops them all on the ground, as we expect. Cloud Cuckoo Lander here. I think after a while, you have to figure maybe Bo isn't the best guy for the job. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, and now we've got frosting on the floor, and we gotta mop it up. But it's okay, because Daphne and Connie have arrived with the goods. Gold coins, out the wazoo, a whole chest of gold coins. That's money, honey. Mayor Leficent admits defeat for now. 
But even Roxy points out that Tiffany talks like a soap opera character. It's almost as if this is a cast of soap actors or something. It's meta. Oh, by the way, April Ludgate quit. Maya, whatever her name was. I just got an April Ludgate vibe, so I've just been calling her April Ludgate the whole time. So this is great. The gold is more than enough to pay off the bar, the town debt, Connie's two mortgages, everything. But Daphne just kind of starts to peace out. It's as if either someone touched a nerve with her or what, but I think she's just kind of like, okay, I've served my purpose. I'm going home. I'm, I'm out of here. Travis runs out to talk to her and tra asks her to explain what it is she's here to do. And, you know, he knows already because Roxy told him. But Daphne just, she's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done being a mermaid. I'm going to go to the water and not turn into a mermaid. But as the water touches her feet, she does become a mermaid again. So now Daphne's absolutely heartbroken. She did what she was supposed to do and still her curse was not lifted. So it does beg the question, what more does Daphne have to do? Daphne wakes up in Travis's home, a bit disoriented because things aren't constantly moving since she's not underwater. Travis treats her to some hot cocoa. They both determine that Daphne's act of selflessness wasn't really selfless so much as an act of generosity. There's a difference. Travis offers to take her into town to buy some clothes and buy some Freudian slip, insists that they're going out for a date instead of for a day. Ooh, Travis, do you like her like her? Ooh, tell him how you really feel. Connie was onto that. Daphne steps into this lovely yellow sundress and steps out with Travis for the date. Day. Day. Now he's got me doing it. This is almost a cute callback to The Little Mermaid where Eric and Ariel go on their tour of the kingdom. It's Travis and Daphne out on the town, being cute, eating ice cream, learning to ride bicycles, attacking Santa with hugs, attempting to eat flowers because they smell pretty, you know, standard stuff. The difference being that Daphne actually still has her voice. Oops. But Mayor Leficent is onto them. She spots them on their day. It's a day out. It's just a day out. Either way, she spots them and she gets her own ideas. They're up to something. And so is she. But then there's also this cute little B-plot. I just want to point this out around Roxy and Bo. Because Bo's got it bad for Roxy. And so he left a little card for her behind one of the bottles in the bar. And she doesn't find it until like right now. And she reads it pleasantly surprised. She's like, oh, that's cute. She turns up at Connie's house where Bo is just, for some reason, breaking candy canes. This time on purpose. He's just like snapping them in two like just spontaneously. And this time, she actually returns Bo's affections. Okay, this was shallow cute. I admit. I was smiling the whole time. I'm not much for romance, but I was rooting for them. I was like, aww. You, got you love to see it. Connie gives Daphne her own ornament, which is a pretty blue and green mermaid. Once they find out you like mermaids, or that you are a mermaid, that becomes your entire personality. Speaking from experience. Daphne wants to put it on the tree, but Connie wants to hang it with a ribbon, not with a hook. Realizing there's no ribbon in the house, Daphne volunteers to go into town to get some. And I think I have this really sinking feeling that this is where it's all going to go to shell. Called it. The first thing Daphne does when she gets out is run into Mayor Soap Opera villain Tiffany Devereaux, who offers Daphne a ride to her office. Now, <coughs> <coughs> sorry. Now, I know Daphne is of a different era, 
But did they not teach you stranger danger in ancient Greece? Don't get into a chariot with someone you don't know. I feel like Tiffany was waiting for Daphne, though, because that didn't feel coincidental at all. In the office, Tiffany tells Daphne that before she, before <clears throat> before Travis met Vanessa, Travis was in love with her. By her, I mean Tiffany. As she's telling her this, no joke, I think this is like the one hour mark or so, the way this shot is framed, she's standing in front of a mounted deer head that makes it look like she has antlers. That had to be intentional. Like, almost like she's like got horns or something. Some like, hey, look, it's the villain. She's the villain. She seems to be implying that every decision she made to sink the Coral Cantina was an act of revenge. She pushed Travis away because she could, because she's her, but she couldn't stand to see him with another woman, like Vanessa or now Daphne. I think Tiffany's making a mistake here because she's basically laying out her plans to Daphne. You don't think Daphne's going to spill the beans? Tiffany gives Daphne an ultimatum. Leave town. Leave Travis. Go back to where you came from then maybe I won't destroy everything he loves. Now, I'm not sure if Daphne buys Tiffany's story, but for some reason, I don't. Not at this point. I guess that's just because, one, she seems kind of shady, and two, this little nugget of information only came up after she saw that he was hanging around town with Daphne. So, I don't know. Upon realizing that Daphne's taking an oddly long, to oddly long time to get some ribbon at the store, Travis and Connie are concerned. Roxy and Bo have just gone out to look for her, and just as Travis is about to go search on his own, Roxy and Bo return to drop this clamshell. <clears throat> Daphne went to Tiffany's office. With Tiffany. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. That is, like, uh, the reddest flag ever. Travis gets the shell out of Dodge and goes to find Daphne to see what Tiffany is up to. Turns out Tiffany wasn't lying, and she did actually have a thing with Travis back in the day. And she is jealous. She seems to want to start over with Travis, but Travis wants to start over with Daphne. I can't exactly blame Travis because Tiffany screams emotional abuser to me. After some back and forth, Travis finally relents and offers Tiffany the Coral Cantina in exchange for Daphne's whereabouts. All he wants is his happiness. And if he has to give up the bar for Daphne, the thing that's made him feel the happiest since Vanessa, then he'll do anything. Just as he's running out to go find Daphne, Tiffany stops him, tells him to keep the bar. Mayor Scrooge has finally had a change of heart in the spirit of Christmas. I hope. She's basically a soap opera villain, so I won't be surprised if she eats her words at some point. But, I don't know, maybe I just have trust issues. Travis gets back to his car, only to find that it won't start. He's ready to floor it to the beach just to get to Daphne before she disappears. Car won't start. His luck. He's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, I mean Vanessa, who tells him to, one, get a new car. I mean, he has all this money now. He definitely can. And two, just run, dude. Run to the beach. Get the girl and burn some of those Christmas calories while you're at it. Bottom line, don't let your happiness get away from you. He bolts to the beach just in time to catch Daphne before she dips. He explains to her that he spoke to Tiffany about the whole thing and that Daphne doesn't have to go anywhere. They're standing on the shoreline, and the water is like hitting her ankles. She freaks out, only to find that she still has ankles. She doesn't become a mermaid when the salt water hits her. The curse is broken. They confess their love, and finally share a much-deserved kiss. So, it turns out that the selfless act that she took was her leaving to go back to the sea 
to save Travis's bar. That was the deal that she made with Tiffany. And so basically her sacrificing the thing that she had grown to love, which was Travis, her relationship with Travis and her life on land, that was the act of selflessness. So now the curse is broken and here's to many Christmases together. And that, my friends, is a mermaid for Christmas. Oh, make sure you stick around after the credits for a cute gag reel. Yeah, I did go looking for like a Marvel-esque post credit scene for some reason. I guess because there was like still so much time left after the credits that it was like, why is there so much film left? It's over. But it's just a gag reel. And I do love a gag reel. Okay, for real this time. This was a mermaid for Christmas. Mermaids and Christmas don't sound like two things that really go together. It's almost like peppermint-scented sunscreen or fleece bikinis. Yeah, you can have your pretty mermaid ornaments and ugly Christmas sweaters with mermaids. I mean, I have a pair of leggings decorated with mermaids and Santa hats. It's not an impossible combination, just an unlikely one. This movie knew that it was doing something particularly left of field and went full cheese ahead. That I can appreciate. Right down to Mayor Tiffany Devereaux, a near caricature of a maniacal, money-grubbing, drunk-on-power, wealthy villainess. Daphne, the literal and metaphorical fish out of water who doesn't understand things like dump trucks and marshmallows and the word weird. Yeah, that's a thing. Or most modern human concepts. And Bo, the hot com- but completely unaware himbo with butterfingers. Combine that with the film's bonkers premise, sprinkle in a little Christmas cheer, and top it off with a cast of soap opera superstars, and you kind of know what to expect from this film. Granted, with a Christmas movie, you should expect some degree of corniness. A lot of holiday-centric media does come with a heaping helping of cheese. Corn. Cheese. Cheese corn. Corn cheese. Those all sound bad. Anyway, especially when dealing with Christmas romances, there is some schmaltz to be expected. So, what I'm saying is, you gotta go into this movie expecting... A good bit of over-the-top sentimentality and absolutely wacky scenarios. But it is a Christmas movie after all. Reeking of all the saturned sweetness of a sugar cookie. It's easy to compare any movie with a mermaid at the center of it to the story of The Little Mermaid because, for a lot of people, Ariel is kind of the end-all be-all of mermaids. That's not necessarily something I agree with, though I will go to bat for her all day. This has been well documented. That said... There are some similarities I found in this film to The Little Mermaid. I'm not sure if these are intentional or not, but some of them are so incredibly subtle that even if it was meant to be a take on The Little Mermaid, like The Mermaid or Splash were, it still feels like its own thing. Exhibit A. I mentioned this already, but the scene where Travis and Daphne go on a day out. See, I got it right. They go on a day out on the town together. Daphne is endlessly fascinated by ice cream and Santa Claus, much like Ariel is with puppet shows and horse-drawn carriages. Okay, that maybe that's maybe that's a more obvious one. I admit. Exhibit B: The Mermaid, the Sea Witch, and the Other Woman. As with Disney's Little Mermaid, the Sea Witch and the Other Woman are the same person. Yes, I know that Travis's wife was named Vanessa. It's not her. Tiffany is the woman that Travis loved and pushed aw- and pushed away, or she pushed him away. Yet she still gets in the way of him and Daphne out of jealousy. While that wasn't exactly Ursula's motivation, she did have to get in the way to see her end goal to come to fruition. That brings me to Exhibit C. Tiffany is also the woman who makes a deal with the mermaid to get her out of the way. Like I said, Tiffany is both the sea witch and the other woman. 
There's layers. By the way, Exhibit D is just the oversized shirt that Daphne wore with the rope. The dump truck outfit. Like I said, that was a whole aerial moment. One issue I take with a lot of mermaids in film is that there are a good couple of them that involve the mermaid being submissive to a human man. Mermaids and Night Tide are a few examples of this. In Mermaids, the three sisters were subject to doing whatever anyone pleased, so long as they said, I wish. The fairly odd parents clause. A lot of men were able to take advantage of that mechanism. In Night Tide, the captain held this siren myth over Mora's head as a means to keep her from leaving his side. Daphne is in a more complicated situation. Her fate hinges on finding the reincarnation of her jilted lover and setting things right with him, but it never really feels like she's at Travis's mercy, even though she kind of is. It's her idea to go to the sea and find the gold coins that save Travis's bar and to go to the town to get the ribbon by herself. But again, everything kind of hinges on Travis. He doesn't use any control over her. If anything, he's confused by everything about her. But at the same time, it's Travis, this so-called reincarnation of Pericles, that she has to appease to reverse the curse. But at no point does Travis take advantage of this situation. That's the difference. Long story short, he's Prince Eric. Similarly with Ariel, her deal hinges on getting Eric to kiss her, so her fate kind of hinges on this man, as with Daphne and Travis slash Pericles. What am I getting at here? There is a pattern of mermaids in roles of submission to men, though it's not always a manipulative or abusive situation. So, what do I think of this movie? You know what? I laughed at it. I thought it was fun. I went in expecting cheese, and I got it. I went in expecting overwrought soap opera acting, and I got that too. I went in expecting a lot more Christmas cheer than I got. It's weird. It doesn't really feel like a Christmas movie to me. It feels like about as much of a Christmas movie to me as Just Friends does. If the events of the movie took place in, say, October, I feel like the that little would change. Maybe the Coral Cantina would be holding a Halloween-themed fundraiser. But Christmas seems more and more, more and less, more or less. I don't know what's up with me today. I'm sleepy. Um, Christmas seems more or less like the background for what is, at its core, a fantasy romance. But I don't know. I'm not exactly someone who watches a lot of Christmas movies, so maybe I'm not the best judge. All I know is, it was cute. It was fun. A bit over the top. But at least I knew what to expect. And that will do it for A Mermaid for Christmas and for the Mermaid Movie Club 2020. Like I said, 13 episodes over 12 months, something like that. And a few minis thrown around here and there, little intermission. That's 2020 for you. I do check my anchor stats fairly often, so I've seen listeners in countries in all corners of the world, which is incredible because I've never even left the United States. I've been able to meet so many of you through this show, over the internet, obviously, socially distanced and all that. And that has been such a great part of doing this, especially in this year of isolation and loneliness. And you guys have been so patient with me, trying to juggle podcasts, work, various family crises, a worldwide pandemic, mental health issues, general health issues. Yeah, this year has been a lot. But this has got me through it. You've got me through it. And for that, I really can't thank you enough. Now, this is normally where I'd announce the next film for our next episode. But I'm actually going to be taking some well-deserved time off. I gotta relax, catch up on some things, and I gotta plan out the next phase of the movie club and the next phase of Mermaid's Andrea. I did say I want to do some more Mersona content in the new year, so that's something I want to start planning out. This might hopefully be like a month or two off the show, which I think is plenty. If that changes, I'll let you know. Don't worry, the movie club is not gone forever. 
We've been through this before. I've had to take breaks before. I will definitely be planning out 2021 while I'm away. You think I'd abandon you? Uh Uh-uh. You're stuck with me. So I'd like to close this out by saying a very, very Merry Mermaid Christmas and a Happy New Year filled with good health, good fortune, much-deserved healing, reconnecting with loved ones, and no mermaid hunters. Yeah, kind of tired of those by now. All right, I got some presents to wrap, so post-episode Jandria, take him out one more time. Thanks for tuning in to the Mermaid Movie Club for this discussion of A Mermaid for Christmas. I'll see you in 2021 for some all-new episodes. For more Mermaid Movie Club updates, visit the homepage at mermaidmovieclub.tumblr.com and follow me on social media. All my profiles are in the show notes. Be sure to get in touch with me to let me know what movies I should cover in the new year. Until then, this has been Mermaid's Andrea. Have an amazing Merry Christmas and a fantastic New Year. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown.